We are called to be a generous people. But what if generosity is more than just giving? What if generosity is a way of seeing, reimagining what is possible, even when it looks like it's not enough? What if generosity is a way of obeying, choosing to follow the way of grace, even when it costs us greatly? What if generosity is a way of trusting, depending on God to provide, even when we give sacrificially? What if generosity is a way of living, joining together all that we have been given to bless others, even if we've never met them? May we learn to fully embrace together a life poured out for others. May we become truly generous. Well, good morning, Element. It is a joy to see your faces this morning. And my heart is so filled up with worshiping with you all today. I know the Spirit of God is here and moving, and I am confident he's going to speak to all of us where we are today. So we are continuing our generous series, and I'm very excited to bring our next message to you guys this morning. Last week, Pastor Benjamin kind of introed the series for us, okay? And he told us about the story of Zacchaeus, right? And we learned about how Zacchaeus was transformed into a person of generosity when he encountered Jesus, right? There was an encounter, and there was a transformation. And part of that transformation was this spirit of generosity, Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And we talked about generosity being about more than just making choices to give, right? We talked about generosity being a lifestyle, a whole lifestyle, as we become more and more like Jesus. So let's remember our memory verse real quick as we begin today in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Let's all say it together. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. All right. So last week, Pastor Benjamin shared some stories about generosity and his experience in his life and things that had really shown him the spirit of both giving and receiving. And it was so cool because last week in our kids' corner, I was talking with all the kids, and I can't tell you guys how many stories our kids had of generosity, either of them giving or of receiving. Every single kid in that room had a story. It was pretty beautiful to see. They could have kept going for a long time. And I loved seeing that culture, that spirit. It's, it's rooted in them. It's deep in them. And they celebrate it, and they participate in it. So I began thinking of some experiences in my own life where people have been generous to me. And of course, there's tons of stories I could tell, uh, absolutely. But interestingly, when I just began to think about people being generous to me, the stories that came up in my heart and my mind, the ones that were most meaningful to me, were where people gave me something that they already had. They gave me something that belonged to them personally. And it was interesting that those were the things that came up in my mind when I was thinking about generous stories and realizing that those things that had been given to me were the most precious of all. And I'll tell you a couple. One of them is my grandma's ring. My grandma gave me this ring several years before she passed away because she wanted to see me wear it. It meant a lot to her 
to know that it was coming to me, and she wanted me to be able to enjoy it while she was still around. Now, I don't wear much jewelry, as you know, and if she had gone out and bought me a ring, I don't really know what I've done with it. I don't, that would have been like an extravagantly, you know, overwhelming gift, and I would have felt awkward to receive it, but this gift, because it was her ring, because I knew what it meant to her, and I knew how much joy she got to wear it on her finger for so many years, it was so much more meaningful to me for her to choose to generously give that to me, right? It will always be so special to me. I think of, this is funny, but I think of my element friends who have given me things that belong to them over the years. And I'll tell you today, my entire outfit today is comprised of clothing that has been gifted to me from the wardrobes of other elementers in this room. And it's pretty cool. Like, you know, I don't necessarily need more clothes, but the fact that these items have been loved by people that I love and they chose to give them to me, like, it means something to me. I have joy when I wear these clothes because it was given to me from something that someone loved. It was precious to them, and so it's precious to me. And then I realized when the kids were telling me their stories last week, those were the stories they were telling. They were telling about the toys that they had given that had belonged to them that they had given away or the clothes that had belonged to them that they had been given away. And it was the same sort of story, something that they already had that was precious to them that they gave. And I think there's something important to unpack in this idea of giving what we have to give, giving what we have. So we'll keep unpacking it over these next few weeks. But I, I am excited about this series, you guys. I am excited for the ways that it is so affirming to who this community is. I mean, every piece of it is just so beautiful to see the way that this is flourishing. But I'm also excited because of the way that it's going to challenge us. And it's going to inform our choices about generosity as we continue. So today, we're going to talk about the first piece of our generous series which is the statement that you heard in the bumper. Generosity is a way of seeing. Generosity is a way of seeing. Now let's pause there and just think about that for a moment because we could gloss over it. We're going to get to other parts of generosity in this series. We're going to talk about how it's a way of obeying and a way of trusting and a way of living. We're going to talk about practical ways of being generous. But what if it first starts with this? just a way of viewing the world, a way of seeing. We can be generous simply in the way that we view the world. It's true. So in order to study more about it, we're going to look at one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus, okay? We're going to look at the story where he feeds a multitude of, pe multitude of people with five loaves and two fish. Now, I know we've all heard this story before, but let's unpack this story a little bit today. First, we're just going to read it, okay? From the book of Mark. In Mark 6, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much time on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So there's the story. Now, I'm interested to see if you guys picked up on a couple things in this version of the story. Now, first thing is the interesting fact. This story is told in each of the four Gospels. So each of the four accounts we have of the life of Jesus, this story is told. And it's told basically the same way in each one, right? There are a few stories that are common to all four Gospels, but this is one of them. And I think that can tell us that this is an important story in the life of Jesus, right? This story speaks to the character of Jesus, of God, right? It's one of the monumental moments in his life, told by all four Gospels. So let's think about what it means for us. We're going to pull four lessons from this story, okay? And I think it will help us be reminded about how generosity is first a way of seeing. So lesson one, it's hard to see generously when you're hangry. Now, I'm not entirely sure Jesus would have put it that way, okay? But I feel like this will communicate to where we are and what we're going through in life. You know, last week, Pastor Benjamin mentioned about the people being hangry, right? We talked about that. Hangry, for those of you who might not know, means so hungry that you're angry. I think we've all experienced hangriness before. I know I've seen it in my children and in myself. So last week, Benjamin talked about the people being hangry. This crowd was in need of food and sustenance, right? But do you know who I think was actually the most hangry in this story? Did anybody catch it? The disciples, yeah. Did you guys hear what happened to these disciples? They've been working all day so hard with Jesus, and they had not had a chance to eat. So Jesus is like, come on on a boat with me. We'll go to a quiet place and rest and presumably eat, right? But then all the people, they chase them down. They run. They get there ahead of them. And when Jesus gets off the boat, he's like, well, I have compassion on these people. I'm going to love them. And they get right back to work. You know those disciples? They did not get to stop and eat. And I think when they come to Jesus and are like, we need to send these people home. It's getting late. They need to go to the countryside, get some food. Do you know who I really think they were trying to get food for? Themselves. Yep, I absolutely think that. You can just tell the way they're a little testy with Jesus when he comes back to them. You can tell they're feeling some hangriness, okay? 
And I totally get that feeling. Absolutely. And I think that they were not very excited when Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. I think they were having a little hangry moment there, okay? Because they were ready to wrap it up and get on to their human needs that we all have. Absolutely understandable. And I think that happens to us too, right? Not just in the sense of being hungry, but when we're so aware of our own needs, right? When we're aware of our own lack or our own inabilities to provide for even ourselves, it sure is hard to think about being generous, right? It sure is hard to see that there might be enough. It's hard to see generously when you're hangry. Now, if I'm honest, I can totally join those disciples, okay? I felt that hangry feeling even a time or two here, late on a Sunday afternoon, when all the things are happening, and there's a meeting, and then there's more talking, and sometimes I'm feeling like I need to get some food in my body so that I can be fed. And I feel like that disciples, like the way they felt, ready to wrap it up, right? And go for some Greek food, because that's my favorite after Sunday food. Now, I will tell you for a while in the pandemic, it was Culver's that we went to. It's really not a very healthy choice. But we went to Culver's so much in the pandemic that for a while after we left church, our phones would give us the suggested location of Culver's, which is very disturbing. So I'm glad we have curbed that habit. <clears throat> anyway, the point is, when we are distracted by our own needs, we don't live with a generous spirit, right? And when I'm hungry, I might not see somebody who needs some love or some grace or some food themselves. I just might not see it, right? So what do we do about that? What do you do about that? I think the first thing, like just being honest, I think the first thing is that we work to stay caught up with our own needs. Be aware that's a good thing for all humans to do. I will tell you now, I bring a banana to church with me so that I don't have to have that problem, right? And there are pieces of that that are good to do. But I think the second thing, the bigger thing, the thing that happened to Zacchaeus, the thing that happened to the disciples, is to ask Jesus to transform us, to transform the way that we see, right? Because when we're so focused on our own needs, we can't see it. But here's the really amazing thing. It's the amazing thing about this story. It's the amazing thing about the way God works. When we live generously, we can count on our own needs being met too. We can count on our own needs being met, too. It's true, you guys. I have no doubt that the disciples ate their fill that day. When they gathered up those baskets of the leftovers, I am sure they were all filled as much as they could be filled. Way more full than they would have been if they had to go to the countryside and find something for themselves, right? So here's probably the real lesson besides the hangry part. The real lesson is when we see generously, we can count on our own needs being met in the abundance, too, right? And why can we count on that? Let's look at lesson number two. Lesson number two is when we see generously, we see that there is always enough because God is always enough. We, we can see that when we see generously. Now, there was a whole lot of provision needed in this situation, right? These disciples were so hungry, they, they did not have the vision to understand that there could possibly be a scenario where there would be enough food to feed all the people and themselves as well, right? The need was so great 
and they couldn't imagine it. And they couldn't imagine how Jesus could ask them to spend a half of their yearly wages to go purchase food for these people. They looked at that situation, and it was 100% clear to them, there is not enough. There's not enough, right? And I think we do the same thing when we're not living with a generous spirit. I, I think we can tell our stories, tell ourselves stories about how there's not enough. Five loaves and two fish won't feed the 5,000, so does it really matter if I give it? Or how about two sentences of encouragement won't wipe away the heartache or the fear or the shame or the brokenness or the sickness or the death, so what does it matter if I say them? Or maybe we tell ourselves one meal won't end hunger for someone living on the street, so what does it matter if I feed them? Or maybe we tell ourselves a small donation won't make up a huge budget deficit in our favorite nonprofit or in our church, so what does it matter if I give? Or we tell ourselves one hour of my time won't heal the loneliness in my friend that's dealing with depression, so what does it matter if I give that hour to them? And these are the stories that we can tell ourselves when we're in that place of there's just not enough. There's just not enough to meet this need. But if we were to switch positions and imagine ourselves on the receiving end of those things, I think we would know that those things can make all the difference in the world. That one meal, that two sentences of encouragement, that one hour can make all the difference in the world, right? And we could go on indefinitely with examples like this because there are an indefinite amount of scenarios where there's not enough, right? We all know that. There's more required than what we have to give, and we can see it. And sometimes the overwhelming lack of resources or time or energy or emotional bandwidth makes us feel like nothing we could possibly give will be enough. And from our human perspective, we're right. We're right. It, it's not enough. It's not enough to do all the work of healing. It's not enough to do all the work of provision. But when the Spirit of God begins to transform us, to be a people who can see generously, we realize it's, it's not about the reality that we don't have enough. It's about God's abundance, right? So our generous hope is not in our ability to meet the needs of a broken world. It's our hope is in God's ability to be God. That's what our hope is in, right? And here's the beauty that we can find if we stop long enough to look for it. God multiplies our generosity every time, right? God uses the smallest seeds to reap the biggest harvest. He does it over and over again, and I'm confident we could all share stories of that being true today, right? It didn't look like five loaves and two fishes would feed the multitude, but did, right? We've got so many stories of that happening here in our church. One of the most recent ones is our work in Shanti Navas and with Radiant Assembly of God in India. You guys, when we first brought this need to our church, I was hoping maybe we could rally $50 a month to send to India and be a little piece of the blessing, a little piece of the provision of God. And like, I thought, I didn't even know where that was going to come from because we were still yet to meet our budget. But I believed like we could find $50 a month, right? And I, it was a small vision. It was a small vision. 
but I had no idea what God was going to do because he used some of our elders and our board members and you guys to see such a bigger vision than that, right? And when we saw the needs of this home in India, this list of needs, we didn't say, well, we can, we can give $50 a month. What we said was, we're going to give what we have. We're going to give what we have. We're going to drain this benevolence account and we're going to give all of it to these needs. And you guys, <laughs> God like tripled that money. I don't know how he did it. From you, from you generous people who also gave what you have, we have been able to meet every single need on that list and then some, right? And that's what he does. He does it again and again. And I know he's only getting started with our work there, right? I didn't know if there would be enough. But the truth is that there is always enough because he is always enough. And when we brought what we had, there was enough. So that moves us to lesson three, which is that seeing generously allows us to celebrate in bringing what we have. It allows us to celebrate that. Instead of feeling like, I'm going to give what I have, but I know it's not enough. We celebrate saying, this is all I have. I know God's going to make it enough, right? Our job isn't to feed the 5,000. It's just to bring the bread and the fish. The book of John tells the same story about feeding the multitude. But John also tells us about a boy who was in the crowd that day. And this boy is the one who had the five loaves and the two fish. Can you imagine for a minute being that boy in the crowd that day? These hangry disciples are walking through the crowd, trying to ask people if they have food to share. And do you know what my guess is? My guess is that that boy is not the only person in that crowd of 5,000 plus people who had some food. I bet some other people probably had some food. And those other people probably thought, I brought this food for myself, for my dinner, so I'm not going to share it. What could possibly be the point? There are thousands of people. My little lunch won't make a difference, right? But this boy, I don't know why he gave it. Maybe he was just not thinking clearly. Maybe he didn't like do the math in his head. Or maybe he was just responding to the person in front of him. I don't know. But he wasn't seen through the eyes of self-preservation or practicality. He was seeing the eyes of generosity, and he gave, right? And can you imagine what that kid felt when he saw thousands of people being fed because he gave what he had? Can you imagine the joy he felt? Can you imagine the celebration he had when he went home and he told his family and he told his friends about what Jesus did with his little lunch? That's the same joy that God wants to give us when we give. That's the joy. That's celebration. Now, lesson number four. Seeing generously begins with a holy imagination. Holy imagination. What if our scarcity problem isn't because of a lack of resources? What if it's because of a lack of imagination? Now, let's think about that for a minute. Let's pull that string a minute. Because... I know it could sound a little mystical or heretical or whatever, right? But if you think about it for a second, it may be one of the most beautiful things you've ever heard. 
Okay. What do we imagine is possible? And what do we imagine our God can do? I'm going to read you an excerpt from Barbara Brown Taylor's writing on imagination. She says, The church's central task is an imaginative one. By that I do not mean a fanciful or fictional task, but one in which the human capacity to imagine, to form mental pictures of the self, the neighbor, the world, the future, is both engaged and transformed. While it may seem more respectable to approach faith as an intellectual exercise or more satisfying to approach it as an emotional one, our relationship to God is not simply a matter of what we think or how we feel. It's more comprehensive than that, more profound. It is a surrender of one set of images and the acceptance of another. It is a matter of learning to see the world and each other and ourselves as God sees us and to live as if God's reality were the only one that mattered. Now, this conversation about imagination, it doesn't stop with generosity. It's about so much more than that, right? But thinking about it in the context of generosity, let's ponder that question again. What if our scarcity problem is not because of a lack of resources, but because of a lack of imagination? Now, when I think about this quality of generosity as holy imagination. There is one person in my life who stands far above all others as an example of this, and that is my mom. <laughs> now, if you met my mom for five minutes, you already know this is true, and I don't even have to tell you anything because you, you know, right? In everything I've ever tried to achieve in my life, my mom has always seen or imagined a way to get there. She just has. And she's always participated generously with the effort to do that, right? And I know many people can say the same thing about her. And while I know that she has a generous heart and she's willing to give sacrificially of her time and her words and her resources and every part of her, it's more than that because she has a gift of imagination. She imagines what could be possible if we participate with God, and participate with what he wants to do in every part of our life. A few months ago, mom and dad participated in their first owners meeting at Element, which was amazing and wonderful, and I loved having them be owners, and it was so great. And, you know, when we all go to an owners meeting here, we might come out of that owners meeting with, like, an inspiration or thought or, like, I could participate in that thing, right? Or maybe we come out with questions. But when I got home that day, my mom had eight pages of notes. Eight pages of notes from this owner's meeting, okay? Imagining all sorts of things we could do with Magnolia House and Oak House and the Lab Initiative and the church finances and all sorts of other things. And I will tell you, our partnership with Radiant Assembly of God and Shanti Navas came because of a conversation we had that day after the owner's meeting because of her eight pages of notes of imagination and encouragement. That's, that's how she lives. A few weeks ago, she came here for her first gathering since the pandemic. She and dad had been joining online for the last year and a half since he wasn't well enough to make the drive. 
And the very first thing she did when she walked in the room, well, first when she walked in the room, she marveled at the transformation and went around to encourage every single one of us that day about how beautiful everything looked. Very generous with her encouragement. But the next thing she did was she walked back to that wall over there and she picked up one of each of the cards of our kids from the heart gallery. And she said she was going to take them home and pray for them. And then she said, do they have to be adopted in Florida or in Hillsborough County or can they be adopted anywhere? Because I'm going to work on this. That's the first thing she did when she came here, right? It's imagination. It's a generous way of seeing the world. To stand here the week after her husband died and go think about homes for orphans. It's a generous way of seeing the world and I could tell you stories all day long countless times where that imagination has been put into action and miracles have taken place and dreams have come into reality and the kingdom of heaven has intersected with the kingdom of earth because of a holy imagination and i hope that we can all keep learning from her and people like her so what about us do we allow our minds to imagine what god could do if we bring what we have Do we allow our hearts to hope for it? Do we allow our mouths to speak it? And what would happen if we did? What would happen if we did? I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing a song about making room for these miracles. But Jesus had a lot to say about generosity. I think it was one of his favorite subjects, in fact. So as we close today, I want you to listen to these words of Jesus through a lens of imagination and allow your generosity to be defined today by the way you see, by the way you see. What comes into your imagination as you hear these words of Jesus? He says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. If God gives attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard thing comes up when the time comes. So let's pray before we sing. God, we thank you for this invitation to holy imagination. God, I pray that you would birth it in us and grow it in us. 
It's not something that we can rally or manufacture by ourselves, and we don't want to. We want it to be from your spirit. So we invite that spirit into this room and into these hearts today. We invite a vision of generosity, a vision of a story where there is enough because you are enough. We love you.